Jackson Brown with The Pretender. This podcast, I want to talk about a topic that's fairly important to me, something that I'm interested in, and that's technology, and technology related to social media as well. I just want to say, as a former teacher, I use technology quite a bit in my classroom. Um, I always felt it was an important aspect of everyday life today, and I also used it a lot when I was doing some agile teaching. I work with teachers on technology in the classroom. In fact, my doctoral dissertation was on technology integration in the classroom. And I've also been presenting at workshops over a number of years talking about educational technology and how it fits in. So I have had a vested interest in the idea of utilization of technology and where technology fits in today's world. But a few things have been on my mind about technology over the past few years and particularly lately um, that I wanted to talk about today. And that is where technology is and where we're going with it and how it fits into the everyday life of all of us. Uh, particularly with the COVID situation, technology, particularly um, technology companies such as Amazon, Lyft, Uber, all those gig economy uh, technologies that are in use today, and how they fit into perhaps maybe a situation that's a little bit darker than we have often thought of those to be. Now, I have to admit, just like most other people, I've used all these different technologies. I order things on Amazon. I've been places where I've used Uber to get things. Uh, particularly with the COVID, there has been things like Instacart that used to order groceries or food to take out. So I'm not totally a saint on this as far as utilizing technologies. But there's things that have really been bothering me. In a previous podcast, I talked about my concerns about Facebook, and I want to go into a little bit more depth about social media and its impact, as well as these other companies. To start off with, I want to go back a few years and talk about a discussion I had with family members around the whole idea of social media and the positives, and perhaps in my eyes, some of the negatives about social media. One of the things that was talked about is, you know, now we could reach out to other people around the world and get a view of things that have happened, uh, events that have happened throughout the world and be able to communicate with others about their situations. So it would hopefully make us more sensitive to situations, particularly any kind of political unrest that are happening in places outside of the United States, which was a good point. But my other concern was, how social media in some respects creates uh, social isolation. That people begin now, instead of interacting with others, 
in face-to-face -face situations, now all their interactions is coming via technology, which concerns me because it creates that isolation. I recall back when I was living in Boston, and at that time, there was a lot of development going on along Route 128, where all of these firms were beginning to establish their businesses, and people were, you know, put into the situation where they go into work, they travel to work, usually by themselves, they would drive in, and they would get to the office, and they would go into an office that was a pretty sterile environment, and they go into the cubicle and work for their day, and then they get back out in their car and drive back home and again repeat the same process over and over again. I was worried that somehow we were losing that human connection. If I fast forward to present times, or even if I go back just prior to my retiring from teaching, and I use, as I mentioned before, technology quite a bit in the classroom, what I've noticed was when it came time for any kind of social media or texting, kids were really good at that. However, what I noticed is when it came to these projects, and oftentimes I would have kids work together as groups, they were really lost. They didn't know how to communicate with each other. If they were texting each other on their phones, they did great. But when it came to actually having a face-to-face -face dialogue with each other, oftentimes they wouldn't know how to really communicate with each other. It was as if it was a lost art, the ability to have face-to-face -face discussions or group discussions. And I had to really work with kids on getting them to kind of be able to communicate with each other face-to-face. -face. It was kind of eye-opening for me. Now, some may be at this point thinking, you know, you don't know enough about social media and or it's not all that bad. And I'm not saying it is, but I do have some concerns about how it does have that isolation component with it. And it's the same thing with other technology besides just social media, especially with COVID-19 right now, where people are working from home. Again, you're getting into a situation where there's that social isolation. It's good that people are able to maintain their jobs and not lose them, but you do have that isolation component to it where you're working from home and not really interacting with people on a day-to-day -day basis other than through Zoom or some other video conferencing software. So when you think about it, how many people do you know that tend to spend a lot of time on Facebook interacting with people that way or getting most of their information from social media? But it's not just social media that concerns me, it's other tech companies in the situations that are occurring with them that also concerns me. Especially when I look at these companies that um, are really involved in this gig economy. When you look at the corporate aspect of that, it looks pretty cool. It's like, wow, you know, you go to this office, they have these hangout areas where people can hang out, which is great. You can have food being catered to people, and I know there's ones that even have like a tap room set up where people can kind of hang out and um, have a beer, or there could be certain days where you sample different types of whiskey. You can bring in your pets. That's really great. It's wonderful to have that. But I think there's an other side of that that people kind of put blinders on that raises concerns for me. It's like you can have all that um, but 
in some cases, I really get concerned about how then that commits you to a situation where you're basically supposed to be there 24-7 every day. So it goes from, you know, a fun work environment to where you're kind of never can get away from it. You're kind of there even when you're not there. And so it gets into kind of an exploitation aspect of it that really concerns me. Or it kind of works on people's self-esteem. It's like you feel good about what you're doing, which you should. But it's that self-esteem aspect that I worry is sometimes also exploited. I think some of the tech companies try to portray themselves as being these progressive companies that are unlike the old days of the Robin Barrett. But when you look at them, I'm a little concerned that they're kind of wolf in sheep clothing. Uh, for example, if we look at Amazon, we look at Jeff Bezos and his situation. I get concerned about how he treats people that work under him. For those that aren't aware, Bezos purchased the Washington Post. Now, I like the Washington Post. I like the articles that come out. Um, they're very informative. I think they're very revealing about things that are going on, particularly this day and age. But I worry with somebody like him owning that paper, how much he's open to self-criticism of the companies that he owns. For example, the Washington Post. There was a writer that they attempted to silence uh, from publishing an op-ed about being critical of Bezos' treatment of workers at the Post. He was given a written warning um, about this, not being able to do it. Uh, he What he did is he took his writing and instead of putting it in the Washington Post, he published it elsewhere as an op-ed and therefore was given the written warning. It was taken to the National Labor Relations Board where they found in favor of the writer. So that was good. But the thing about that was it just points out as much as some of these tech companies try to look like they're progressive and socially conscientious. If we look beyond the surface, sometimes we see a whole different picture that makes these companies not much different than some of the companies in the past that have been anti-union, anti-labor, exploitation of workers. For example, let's take a look at Amazon and how they had a presentation video on how to handle situations that were beginning to occur at some of the Amazon warehouses regarding unionization. There was a lot of situations where people were really being mistreated. If you've seen, there's been articles about how it's all based on you know quickness, that it basically exploits the workers in the warehouse as well as the drivers. They're on certain designated times where they have to get things done and have to be more efficient. And if they don't, there's a price to pay. So let's listen into a little bit of this presentation that was given to workers on how to handle union activity. Welcome. We're excited to have you at this training, specifically designed to give you the tools that you need for success when it comes to labor organizing. During this course, we'll cover several important topics, such as our position on unions, associate rights, signs of employee disengagement, and how to identify, escalate, and address associate concerns. We are not anti-union, but we are not neutral either. When these attempts were made to 
perhaps unionized workers at Amazon, there's a memo that was put out that basically tried to smear one of the people that were attempting to organize, and Jeff Bezos was a part of that meeting. I don't know if you noticed, but since the COVID-19 pandemic has started, and there was concerns raised about workers at the warehouses for Amazon and drivers having enough protective equipment, all of a sudden now we see these barrages of commercials on, at least I have, about all these happy, wonderful workers and what it's great to be an employee of Amazon. Here's my concern is, why do you need those commercials? What what are you trying to do? Because, you know, when I see that, my radar goes off. It's like, you know, you're putting out these commercials because you're trying to hide something other than what the reality is. And, oh, by watching these commercials, I'm going to feel better about how they treat workers. I just really have a hard time with that. You consider that in 2018, Amazon made... billion profit and paid no taxes. What's that tell you? I think if you look at the situation in Amazon at the corporate offices, what would happen to people that don't participate in Jeff speak? If they don't speak the same as Jeff Bezos, what are done with those employees or how long do they last? So my concern is in a situation like that is you have Jeff speak and no one else. And you have that kind of group thought that you have to be a part of in order to be a member. Also, when you look at the situation when Amazon was talking about opening up other key office sites, there was a big bidding war going on. And, you know, cities and areas were basically being held hostage. It became a situation whoever was going to give the biggest tax breaks to Amazon was going to get the site, which meant sacrifice by other people that live in that area. If you're going to give them a tax break, where is the money going to come for other resources, things that are needed in that area? But it's just not Amazon. If you look at some of the other tech companies, for example, at a congressional hearing when the big tech companies were there to testify, they all kind of began their introductions and talked about these kind of heartwarming stories on how their companies got started, how they all became kind of the American dream. But if you look below the surface, you may get a different story. All of them have kind of stories about exploitation of workers. For example, I was reading an article that came from the LA Times about Instacart. And this is from the LA Times about five days a week, Ryan Hartson scours the picked over aisles of Mariano's Fresh Market in Chicago to fill grocery delivery orders for Instacart. He clocks in for a shift exactly on the hour. If he's even five minutes late, he'll receive a reliability incident within four minutes He must accept any incoming orders. Any longer, it'll be kicked off the shift and risk getting an incident. Three incidents in a week, and he is at risk of termination. It's a very easy job to lose, Hartson said. To avoid missing orders, Hartson schedules his bathroom visits after four hours of work 
The app notifies him that he has earned 10 minutes paid break. Meanwhile, it's the cart managers use the app to see if he's running behind on his orders. The app also tracks Hartson's customer communications, automatically searching for specific terms to ensure he's using Instacart's preferred script. If he doesn't, his metrics will take another hit. And like I said, that was from an article in the LA Times. If you look at other situations, such as with Uber and Lyft, they attempt to make themselves as these workplaces where you work when you want, make your own hours, and the situation winds up being where people wind up using their own cars, their own gas, the wear and tear of their cars, and when it comes to the factor of what they're really making, at times they're barely making minimum wage. This gig economy removes all these companies from taking any responsibility at all. In California, AB5 was passed, reclassifying these gig workers as employees. This made these companies responsible for benefits, such as health care. Now in California, they're trying to pass Prop 22 to exclude them from AB5, such as Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, Postmates. The five companies employed at least 19 firms to do consulting work to help them wage their Proposition 22 battle. At least five of the firms named in the documents have worked on campaigns for big tobacco, big oil, and big chemical companies, including Philip Marsh, Chevron, and Monsanto. As of August 28, the five gig economy companies have contributed more than $111 million to Proposition 22, according to California's Fair Political Practice Commission, with Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash the biggest backers. By contrast, spending on Florida's six ballot measures for 2020 totals just over $68 million. So these companies are willing to spend that much to defeat or change a proposition and yet won't use that money to take care of the people that work for them. So when I really think about it, the more things change, the more things stay the same. As I said in the beginning, as much as these companies try to give the impression that they're progressive, oftentimes in the situation, I fail to see where that progressiveness is. So Mark Zuckerberg could talk about how he's going to end political ads a week before election. That doesn't tell me much. It just basically says that, well, we're going to take those profits that we get from those ads up until the very last week. By then, it's a little bit too late. So I guess one thing to think about is that next time you order something from Amazon or Instacart or take an Uber ride, any of those things that you be aware and sensitive to the people that are struggling just to get by on what little money they make from these huge companies that make incredible profits. And for those that work at the corporate offices of these corporations, I would hope you would become a little bit more sensitive to the people that are working on you that are really doing a lot of the work that is required to make the companies profitable. And that perhaps you'll be able to have an opportunity to maybe collectively organize yourselves so that you're not exploited. Because as much as they may give you a comfortable place to hang out, they may offer you free food, free drinks, bring your pet in, you have to think about how much they're requiring of you outside of the time that you're in the office. 
Are you really a 24-7 employee? And are you okay with that? Do you need your self-esteem to come from what you do there? So the bottom line is we're all in this together. And if we can find a way that allows it to be a situation where everybody can move forward together and not leave people behind, that would be the best solution. And for those that are ahead of these corporations, I'm not very hopeful that they'll have a great awakening that too much of it is based on money. And the more money they can get, it just seems to never be quite enough. So that's it for this podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe. Oh